Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. Good morning. Last week, the President of Brazil, Lula da Silva, suggested that we should do away with what is called dollarization and that BRICS countries should use a currency to finance trade relations between, say, Brazil and China or between China and South Africa. At the moment, as I understand it, most countries of the world use the US dollar with what is called a reserve currency. In other words, it's the currency that countries trade in. If we want to buy oil from Iran, we probably use dollars to buy it, even though both us and Iran don't use the dollar. Basically, it has to be a currency which is seen to have a hard store of value. And the US dollar emerged as the global reserve currency after World War II, partly because it was locked to the value of gold. Because an ounce of gold cost $35, you could work out the value of the dollar, and everyone could use the dollar because they knew what its value was in gold. But the US dollar is no longer tied to the price for gold, hasn't been since the 1970s, and so over time that's it to several countries now suggesting the world should go through a process of what is called de-dollarization. So, is it feasible or can it not really be done? First this morning, what is a reserve currency and why does it matter? Dr. Lumkile Mondi is a senior lecturer at the Witt School of Economics and Business Science. Then, Regent Corsi is the founder and executive director of First Source Money and Public Banking of South Africa. He believes there should be a different financial architecture for the BRICS countries. We should do away with the use of the dollar. And then money and power. If we no longer use the dollar, would that mean that the U.S. is no longer as powerful as it is now? Professor Sipaman Lazondi is a professor of politics and international relations at the University of Johannesburg. We start then with Dr. Lumkile Mondi. Dr. Mondi, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to uh, Reg and other colleagues uh, on the call. Thank you for having us. So, at the moment, the US dollar is referred to as the world's reserve currency. What exactly is a reserve currency? A reserve currency is a medium of exchange and a store of value. Uh, and in fact, uh, it was an outcome uh, of a war settlement. So, the link to the um, to, to the gold that highlighted. It was because of the d- significance uh, of South Africa at the time uh, being a significant player uh, as part uh, of the British Empire led in South Africa by General Smarts. So South Africa, the uh, had some weight uh, with delegation from Britain with John, Min- John Maynard Keynes. Uh, and therefore, the, the dollar... Uh, gold uh, remained for a while until uh, the 70s when the Americans cooped and, and, and basically cooled and, and centralized uh, uh, dollar as a, as a stronger currency uh, away from the, the gold, which uh, for many, many years had been a store of value and was a point of reference for exchange. So you need a currency that everybody trusts. So I use the example of us buying oil from Iran. Even though we don't use the dollar, and even though Iran doesn't use the dollar, both Iran and South Africa know how much a dollar is worth, and therefore you do the deal in dollars. Is that the sort of correct understanding of it? Absolutely. And, and, and also because of the trust, uh, as I said earlier, built on, on a war settlement uh, that really enabled, because what was common amongst us uh, following the settlement was our anti-fascist um, stance. 
a broad freedom uh, and a, a world economy uh, that is open and where everyone can trade and exchange. And that's the beginning of the so-called globalization, uh, driven mainly by Europeans, but also sort of by, by America and, um, and of course, uh, Europe in terms of the agreement that we ushered in Bretton Woods, forming the two big institutions, the World Bank and the, and the IMF. There's another issue you just mentioned, globalization. Now, globalization over time generally makes good cheap, goods cheaper. It usually makes food cheaper, for example. It would be much harder to do that without a reserve currency of some kind in the world. Absolutely. Uh, but also being able to back that through a value system, the value system at the time was uh, a democratic regimes um, and accountability and transparency, which had underpinned not only the, the money uh, and finance, but also underpinned political power that uh, through the other formations that we also signed up to after the settlement, the United Nations, that we're going to be able uh, to foster peace long-lasting peace and that uh, peace will be underpinned by democracy human rights and all the things that south africa historically um, fought for uh, those were against apartheid and after 94 were enshrined in our constitution because they espoused the values of what the settlement after the second world war was about and the integration of south africa and the global economy and it being able to uplift and integrate south africans to the global community So how much of this then is about being able to understand the true value of one U.S. dollar? So the United States is a very open society. Uh, You understand what's going on within it. I presume if it, let me put it another way, if it were to suddenly turn authoritarian or closed or we couldn't trust the economic data coming out of the U.S., would that then impact the value of the dollar? And would that make some people think, well, we can no longer use this as a reserve currency anymore? Well, it will lead to a lack of confidence uh, to the American economy and therefore selling of a lot of American assets held by foreigners. We know that the China, for example, is the biggest holder of, tra- of, of, China, of, of American treasury bills. So really, that will force then the dollar to weaken tremendously as people drop it um, and drop the assets that the dollar dominated. So it is important for, for, for America to espouse stability. That is why we've seen... Uh, with the collapse of the banks recently, um, the the Fed was very clear that they'll support uh, depositors uh, just to ensure that you know there's no panic in the banking system and any systemic risk embedded can be curtailed very very fast to restore that confidence. And you've seen the dollar continue to strengthen because. Uh, of the support given by the Fed, the increase in interest rate recently, which have made the dollar much stronger than many other currencies, including the rent. Um, President Silva calling for us to de for, for the world to de-dollarize. Do you think that would do you think it would be possible to do that? Would it be possible for BRICS countries to do that? Uh, not at all. Remember, there is not much common between us and and the Chinese and the Russians. There is no uh, fundamental principles except that we resent the dollar, we resent the American domination in the global financial system. More than that, there is nothing. 
Uh, we espouse human rights. Uh, we espouse democratic regimes, uh, except for us, uh, Brazil and India, who are democratic regimes. The two other members, uh, bureaucratic authoritarian, uh, poor human rights record, very violent states uh, against their own people, surveillance regime, unaccountable, but to the Communist Party and the elite in the in the in the, in the Russian environment of oligarchs. So really, we are extremely different. What makes us being seducted to these populist tendencies is the weakness in terms of management by the leaders that we appoint, whereby we've seen South Africa sliding drastically and the ANC adopting quite populist policies in that regard. Uh, these other countries appeal and the de-dollarization call uh, and others are informed by weaknesses and where you're externalizing a problem by being seen to be mighty when in fact you should be really dealing with fundamental issues and going back to values that have we have spouse that many people died for, particularly in South Africa, where people sacrificed so much for democracy, for inclusion and economic development. And now we are looking elsewhere uh, with nothing common among us with these countries, uh, except that, of course, China takes a lot of our commodities. But more than that, all these other countries take very, very little. Our biggest trading partner outside China remains Europe and the West and the rest of the West. So really it's all high in the sky and a political wish which is not going to materialize now until we find some common ground either through trade through value system of democracy through of accountability or any other form even ubuntu for that matter if if these countries can treat their own uh, the way we want to be treated uh, in the struggle against apartheid maybe the, the the discussion might be different but in reality except for brazil and india uh, democratic regimes accountability transparency that are two really are just successful partner for china economically but more than that there's nothing common it's just uh, an anti-american rhetoric uh, and the resentment of the dollar uh, and of course uh, a democratic open uh, regimes Dr. Lumkile Mondi, thank you, Senior Lecturer at the Witt School of Economics and Business Science. You with SFM 16 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation on the idea of de dollarization continues. Reg and Corsi is Executive Director at First Source Money and Public Banking of South Africa. Reg, good morning. I'm going to ask you to speak as loudly as you can, please. It's not a very strong line. You believe we should not be using, the world should not be using the US dollar in the way that it is. Why do you believe that? Thanks again, Steve. Yeah. Um, right from the start in 1940s, the idea was essentially not to use any country's currency for international transactions. That idea was brought in by the leading economist, John Maynard Keynes, Lumuki just mentioned about it. However, his approach was defeated at uh, the Bretton Woods, not because it was unscientific, because of economic and political power of the U.S., so right from then, Keynes and many leading scholars had realized that should we give any country all right, the, the, its currency to be the reserve for international transactions, that country will become excessively powerful and abuse that power. Therefore, the idea of having the dollar as a reserve currency, by the way, it's not just the dollar alone, it's the biggest of the, of the major reserve currencies. The idea of having to have one country being so solely responsible for 
international transactions is quite risky. And therefore, it started right from then. Some countries saying, well, I think it is necessary for us to begin to shift slowly away from this currency to other currencies. Hence, the formation of the euro, I mean, the, the, the European Union and the euro, and of course, in, uh, the, the, the yen and a few other uh, currencies. So the idea has been there. And the idea today is going on and is going to be very successful today as we speak. The notion that uh, <clears throat> the BRICS are not going to be successful is a pie itself. We have already seen that the currency, the, the U.S. itself, as, as, a, as a reserve currency, is actually declining. And two way, to the yen, to the euro, and now to the yuan. But what we do not want, Steve, is to have a country's currency to be a reserve currency used for international trade, finance, and payments. Okay. Um, so what would you replace it with? Would there be a sort of BRICS currency, a currency we would use, I don't know, in South Africa and in China? Yes, it would be a currency that would be used not just in, uh, for South Africa and China and, and Russia, for many, many countries across the globe. Even the U.S. itself will have to use it. So what we're trying to do right now, some of us, I engaged in putting a new monetary and financial architecture, almost close to what economist John Maynard Keynes had put. John Maynard Keynes, the British economist, had put what they call the Banco. Right? So we are proposing something close to the Banco. It's not going to be any country's currency. It's going to be a universal currency around which countries are going to, to trade. And that currency will be the one that's going to be used for the BRICS, and any other country that so wishes. At the moment, the the U.S. dollar trades against other currencies. Its value rises and falls against the rand and the pound and the yen and the yuan, etc. Would this currency trade in the same way against other domestic currencies? Essentially, yes. Uh, so all other currencies will be there. The dollar will be there. The rand will be there. But we are all going to be actually using this currency. So there's going to be a fluctuation. There's going to be a bend in a way something close to being a fixed, but, you know, not so much fixed as uh, before, but somehow fixed. So this currency will be there, utilized by all countries the world over. Okay. So um, one of the things about, let's just say, the value of the rand is that we're an open country. You know how the economy is doing. You know whether the value of the rand is going up or down. If we have stage six load shedding, the value of the rand goes down. If we don't have load shedding, if it all stopped, the value of the rand would go up. The same happens in the United States, and because it's an open country, you can see what's happening within it. If we had to have a sort of global currency, would the value of that currency be more complicated to determine? So if Russia used it and China used it and we used it, for example, it would be harder to know what the value of the currency would be because you'd have to look at what's happening in South Africa and Russia and China. I hope I've understood this correctly. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's very, very easy. It will be almost like uh, what we had uh, uh, before now, before the, the collapse of the, of the, of the Bretton Woods system. So currencies will in a way be fixed to this particular uh, international currency in some form, you know, and they will be rotating around certain bands as well. So the, the fluctuations will continue, but in a reasonable band. So that will be the way in which the, this, this international currency will have to behave. It will almost, almost be like as, as it is now, but 
it will be a completely different monetary infrastructure and, uh, and uh, financial infrastructure so, uh, and system that underpin it. But it will operate almost closer to the way the current system is operating. There won't be so much uh, of a difference at all. But we won't be reliant on a single country's currency. Would it make South Africans richer to do this? Would it make South Africa richer? That's right. Yeah, would it make us, would it be better for us in some way? Would it be better for the average person in the street to do this? Absolutely. Right now, some of the challenges that we face here in this country are a consequence of the U.S. dollar practices, or rather of the U.S. government practices. For example, if the U.S. decides now to raise interest so high, that will affect us in such a way that, oh, negatively, in a sense, you have said so many other countries so negatively, but the U.S. itself can assist some countries that are affect, affected negatively, but not others. So it is discriminatory in nature. All right? To the extent that the U.S. can discriminate among countries, yet its currency is so dominant, affecting all these, uh, all these other economies, we think that is very, very unfair. Therefore, we need a currency that's going to be stable, a currency that's not going to benefit the U.S. alone, a currency that's going to benefit each and every citizen the world over. Reg and Corsi, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Executive Director at First Source Money and Public Banking of South Africa. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continuing your mediated conversation around de-dollarization. Professor Sipamandla Zondi is a Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Johannesburg. Professor, good morning. Good morning, Steve, and good morning to the listeners. The fact that people generally use the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, that must give the U.S. a kind of economic power? It does. It, uh, it, it gives it uh, significant economic power. Um, uh, all transactions are done in the dollar, and that is a huge boost for central bank. We know that. And U.S. central bank. <clears throat> it was a, a convenient decision to take because the, it was a currency they were strong enough that we could use um, to transact across the border. But it was not meant to be permanently so. But it, it goes further. It gives it significant political power. It secondly gives it extraterritorial power. It gives it power beyond its borders. And you have seen this with how it uses unilateral sanctions. That it will, it will actually impose sanctions on Cuba near it or show sanctions on Venezuela or, or any other country. And and a country as far as eight thousand kilometers in in in, in Toka, next to uh, New Zealand, would have to change its it thinks because that a sanction between the two countries because the U.S. is involved uh, affects it and its companies far away. So it has this ability to stretch its tentacles almost like an octopus into all sorts of territories. And that, that perhaps would not have been a problem if it was just a benign superpower. But as the U.S. becomes very arrogant, it becomes very aggressive, it becomes very selfish and self-interested, it has then um, willingly used that sweet that power deliberately uh, to demonstrate its power. And it, as it diminishes, it also seeks to use it a little bit more recklessly. And therefore, it has not been sensitive to the power it has been given to. And that is what is causing it uh, to be threatened now. So it brings it upon itself. Uh, the, the growing uh, interest 
in looking away from the dollar and, and, and a lot of this looking away is not looking for an alternative dollar uh, currency like, like currency but it's looking for ways in which we can trade in each other's uh, currency so if we trade we take it we trade in our currencies not in a dead currency um, people have been talking about a BRICS currency, and I presume for that to work, BRICS would have to work. And I understand the attraction of BRICS in a multipolar world. But if you look at the US, it's an open democracy. You're able to then establish the currency. If you looked at the West, most of those countries are quite similar. In BRICS, you have India, Brazil, and ourselves, we're open democracies. You have Russia and China that are not open democracies. You would have heard Dr. Lumkilemondi's uh, critique of BRICS. I mean, would BRICS be able to work together if they're so different? And would they be able to work together in a way to establish some kind of common cu- trading currency? You know, that, that Stephen, was precisely the, the, the main criticism of BRICS uh, when it started in 2009. It was thought it would not last even a year because it's just, just two different countries that do that. But we, we say this forgetting that in economics, whether you're a democracy or not a democracy, does not matter. Our biggest trade partners are not democratic partners necessarily. They are strong economies. The, it seems to me that economics doesn't quite see these values we impugn on it. Uh, the U.S. doesn't trade only with Democrats demo, or democratic countries. It trades quite a lot with autocratic countries. Um, it, it seems to me that in the economic field, if you are creating an economic union of some form we are not actually creating a democratic union we are trying a, a a union that will economically function and i think that is why then the BRICS have survived to this point it is that it was not a a gathering of democracies there, there is a thing called an alliance of democracies there your democratic credentials matter a lot more than other considerations but because you are creating a a, a body that would uh, push for global economic reform. There you don't look at who are the democracies, but you look at who are able uh, to make this push for global economic reform. We and that country do not agree uh, in terms of uh, political values, but we do agree uh, uh, on the reform of in- international finance institutions. Uh, and all of that. But secondly, money makes a, a, a very elementary mistake. Um, the BRICS have, from the beginning, spoke about a, a, a common reserve, currency reserve, which is allow all the BRICS currencies to function together. And almost almost like a special drone rights like the IMF has. The IMF has no IMF currency, but it has special drone rights drawing from the main currencies. 40% of them are the, the dollar, 30% the euro, and the rest are the other uh, are currencies. So that's what the BRICS have been talking about. They're not talking of a currency necessarily. Even if they were talking about a currency, uh, the distinction between them politically is there should never be a reason to doubt it mm-hmm. because the IMF rights involve monarchs, uh, democratic republic, semi-democratic state, and it doesn't affect it. 
Professor Zipaman Lazondi, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Johannesburg. My thanks to Regin Corsi, Director at First Source Money. And starting us off, Dr. Lumkile Mondi, Senior Lecturer at the Witt School of Economics and Business Science. We'll be back tomorrow from Stanza Zelma, Banyana, Imdu, myself. Look after yourself. You're with SFM, leading the conversation, 9 o'clock.